I'm not pulling out the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work at Home edition. So I'm using my time at home to interview people about past sets that we've worked on together. So today I have Ethan Fleischer, and we're going to talk about Oath of the Gatewatch. Hey, Ethan. Hi. How you doing, Mark? Okay, so Oath of the Gatewatch, was this your second design? Yeah, it was my second design, or it was actually my third design lead. I led uh, Journey into Nix and then Commander 2014. Okay. And then, then Oath of the Gatewatch. Okay, so I, I led the set before it, which was um, Battle for Zendikar. So this was this was a small set that went with the big set. The Battle for Zendikar was the big set. This was the companion small set. Um, we were doing two set blocks at that time. Yes. Uh, this was during the time where all the blocks were large, small. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. So, like, you're assigned Oath of the Gatewatch. So what... In fact, this set changed a bit. So let's let's talk a little bit about what what you were originally assigned to do. Right. So at first, it was very much focused on like what are these Eldrazi up to? Because there were three Eldrazi brood lineages, and Battle for Zendikar focused on Ulamog's brood lineage, which were hungry all the time. So you had those processors that were that were eating things. And Kostalek were weird all the time, and they were doing crazy radiation stuff and transforming things. And then Emrakul's lineage was all about, like, mutating biological form. So I really focused early on in design on figuring out what made Kozilek's brood lineage different from Ulamog's brood lineage. And what we came up with was an idea that uh, another game designer, John Louts, came up with during the Great Designer Search 2, which was colorless mana costs. You know, costs that could only be paid with a colorless mana. Couldn't use, couldn't use red mana. It's not generic. But, uh, and we had to come up with a whole new symbol for that. So this set changed magic forever because now there's a colorless mana symbol. Okay, so real, real quickly, I just explained the audience so they understand this. Um, so when the game got created in, in Alpha, this is from the very beginning, um, we used, a, there was a mana symbol we used that meant two completely different things. Um, so there's what we call a generic mana symbol. You would see that in like, you know, a lot of artifacts, like in Alpha, for example, or, you know, most spells had some colored mana and some generic mana. So the generic mana symbol means you can spend anything you want. It can be colored, it can be colorless, it doesn't care. Just give me mana of any kind. So, um, so for example, Soul Ring, I'll be my example. Soul Ring costs one, right, and it's, and it's mana cost. So you needed to spend one of anything. But also on the card, if you tapped it, it it showed you a little two that looked a I, lot I, like a generic mana symbol. I, I will point out that yeah. Alpha did not do this. Oh, because Alpha, Alpha spelled out the words colorless mana. Okay, fair, uh, fair enough, fair enough. But yes, eventually, I think it was in Barrage Block. Is right, but the it, notation changed to right. that to those numbers with the gray circles. A, a fine, a fine point. Uh, but so there was a point at which, and for much of Magic, where we would use that symbol to show the generation of colorless mana. So like a soul ring would tap for two colorless mana. That wasn't colored mana. You couldn't pay colored costs. That was colorless mana. And we had used the same symbol to mean generic mana and colorless mana. Uh, and then along comes Ethan Fleischer, and he says, what if mana costs had colorless mana? Or, but based on John Locks, obviously. Um... And the problem was, 
we couldn't have the same symbol because then if a, if a mana symbol said, you know, one in a circle and a blue, is that a colorless mana? Is that a generic mana? Who knows? You know. So, yeah. So we we corrected the mistakes of the past and rationalized our symbols. Uh, of course, it was a big, uh, a big to-do and caused a lot of repercussions in a lot of ways. Uh, I know that the Magic Online team had to spend a tremendous amount of time implementing it. They had to like rebuild the whole way mana was implemented. And, of course, because this was backward compatible, you know, as you said, Soul Ring, that's a card that makes colorless mana. So all of the cards that made colorless mana from Magic's past could work with these new Eldrazi with their colorless mana costs. And in a few cases those interactions turned out to be too powerful, right? Like in modern, especially the modern format was broken when Oath of the Gatewatch came out and uh, that we had to ban some cards to fix it. Uh, other I, formats like vintage and legacy, like the cards were strong, but they didn't, uh, they didn't cause any serious problems. I mean, one of the cool things real quickly, I just want to say that one of the cool things about this mechanic is it, did this neat thing where it kind of made something kind of like a six color, but completely backward right. compatible, and that that was really neat in that it 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 allowed us to do something that would be normally hard to do in a way that hey, there's all these cards in Magic that already do it. Right. The problem with just adding a six color to Magic is that there's there's no old cards that would work with that deck. But uh, by sort of sneaking in a pseudo six color this way. We got to, uh, you know, have have a bunch of support for the for the mechanic sort of built into magic. Okay, so colorless was pretty early, right? Yeah, that was very early that I decided on that, uh, and and there were a lot of execution things that we had to decide. Like we sort of had to come up with a whole special color pie for these colorless cards because they weren't they weren't generic cards. Uh, which normally a, a, an artifact that has that costs generic mana just needs to be an inefficient card. But uh, for these cards, you really did need a specific type of mana to cast these cards. Uh, so we we ended up finding a bunch of sort of strange effects that we didn't normally put on cards, but were nevertheless, you know, useful. Just a little on the weird side, right? Uh, Sort of the the watchword for the Eldrazi uh, in that block was like in, in, incomprehensible alien, right? So putting weird mechanics on them was a way to uh, express that. Yeah, and we definitely like in Oath of the Gate Watch as well as in um, Battle for Zendikar. Like we were we were trying to be kind of weird. Like it was the Eldrazi. There's a war with the Eldrazi. They're unfathomable alien creatures from who knows where, you know, and. We were definitely leaning into that. Um, okay, so my question, here's my question for you, Ethan, is at some point you get approached by the brand team. Is right. there, are there mechanics that, that were added before this this point in the story happens? Uh, maybe, but it's not important for the purposes of the story. Let's, okay, let's okay, just, so you get, you get approached by the brand team. What, what do they say to you? They said that... The story is really important. The overall magic story is really important. This was during the Gatewatch storyline, and that a critical story beat happens in Oath of the Gatewatch, which at the time uh, just had a code name. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what it was now. Was it Sweat? 
Um, what was the code name? The code name was yeah, it was sweat. Was it, it was, sweat? It was blood, okay. blood, sweat. blood, sweat, the, uh, and, and yeah, tears. Okay, tears and fears. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So in in sweat, uh, the superhero team, as we were calling it, is going to form the Planeswalker superhero team, and that of course was Gideon, Jay's, Chandra, and Nissa before Liliana joined. Uh, so they were all going to to form the Justice League of Magic the Gathering, essentially. So it was important to really emphasize that. And I, I wanted to, you know, I'm, I really love the sort of fusion of flavor and gameplay that Magic sets can uh, can achieve when everything's pulling in, you know, the mechanics and the creative are pulling in the, in the same direction. And so I kind of jumped on this idea like, ooh, this, this seems like it has a lot of potential. Uh, so there are a lot of mechanics and specific choices about how mechanics work that were inspired by this idea. Uh, one of them is the, the actual oath cards, right? These are cards that help your planeswalkers. Each of the four planeswalkers that, uh, that joins the Gatewatch in the storyline has an oath card. And they're all so, legendary enchantments. Let, let me let me read are, one. Let me read one to them. Pardon? Let me let me read one to the audience so they get a sense of, of what 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 an example of an oath card is. Yeah, read them an oath card. Okay, so oath of Chandra costs one and a red. It's a legendary enchantment. When oath of Chandra enters the battlefield, it deals three damage to target creature and opponent controls. At the beginning of each end step, if a planeswalker enters the battlefield under control this turn, oath of Chandra deals two damage to each opponent. Right, so each one is a legendary enchantment that has some generically useful uh, enters the battlefield trigger, and then some other ability that uh, helps your planeswalkers in some way, in, in, in a way that's appropriate to the color involved. Uh, and this played into something that people were already doing, which was putting lots of planeswalkers together in a deck. Uh, that's a play style that's very appealing to some players. So I was like, all right, let's give people some tools for that. So that was one way. Uh, another way was playing into the two-headed giant format. So this is a uh, format that's primarily played in limited and basically... Each uh, it's a it's a four player game with two players on each team. So you have a teammate, your opponent has a teammate, and you have a shared life total and a shared turn. Uh, and so and this is this is pretty fun and popular uh, format in limited, and it's a really good way for less experienced players to experience the game. Right, like oh, I'm going to team up with my buddy who's really good at the game. And I don't need to. I don't need to know all the rules as well. It's a. It's a good way for people to get into it. So I thought it'd be great if we could emphasize two-headed giant at the pre-release and support it with some mechanics. And uh, there were a couple of mechanics in particular. Uh, I said support, and that's because support is one of those mechanics. It is. Uh, this is a mechanic that allows you to put plus one plus one counters on things and it encourages you to sort of spread those counters around because you can you can uh what does it do well so so support n here i i can actually read actual support text for you that um sounds good so okay so the support text says support n and it's a number put a you know n plus one plus one counters on each of up to um 
two other target no, creatures. Or, put a plus. Oh, put a, sorry. Put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two other target creatures for support two, for example. So right. oh, I see. So you can only put one per creature, but you get to put it on up to that many creatures. Right. Uh, so this, you could put some on your partner's creatures. You could put some on your on your sorry teammates' creatures. Partner is a whole different thing. <laughs> you could put some on your teammates' creatures. You could put some on your own creatures. Uh, and then actually, as I originally designed it, support was also going to be able to put loyalty counters on planeswalkers. But uh, at the last minute, we we got rid of that ability because it was just there was just a little too much weirdness going on in the set. <laughs> And and when you say uh, last minute, like it was post slideshow, like it was yeah. very above the latest we could pull something from the set. Yeah, um, so we have a slideshow uh, at basically while the set is being typeset, it's partially typeset, and uh, we look at all the cards, and if there's any last minute changes that need to be made, that's when they get made. Uh, so you know, we looked at the set, and it was just like wow. There's just a little too much going on here. So uh, we got rid of the Planeswalker Rider, and I was a little disappointed, but uh, seeing how support was used again in the Battle Bond set um, mm-hmm. made me feel like we'd made the right choice. Like, oh, here's a here's a mechanic we can use again. Maybe we wouldn't have used it again if it had been a little weirder. Um, okay, so... The other, me- the other mechanic that supported Two-Headed Giant play was the Surge mechanic. Okay, I'll read, um, that. I'll read this one real quick. Uh, so it has a right. surge cost, which is usually cheaper than the normal cost. You may cast this mm-hmm. spell for its surge cost if you or a teammate has cast another spell this turn. This encourages sort of a uh, storm-style gameplay in, uh, I guess, in <laughs> in regular uh, one you know two-player magic or in a, a two-headed giant game, right? Because uh, casting more spells makes this one cheaper. Uh, storm is a little different in that casting more spells makes more copies of the storm card. But uh, the sort of style of deck that you build is uh, is pretty similar with lots of spells that don't cost very much mana. Uh, so this was I thought a really fun mechanic, and uh, and I got to put the word teammate on the card, which was like very loudly says, "Hey, two-headed giant." This is a format you can play, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I believe only one card had had the word teammate on it before this, and it was from Future Sight. It was like Imperial Mask or something. Uh, one black border card, thank you very much. Oh, well, excuse <laughs> me, you're right. There was a cycle uh, of... Glue uh, had a cycle of, of um, cards that referenced teammates specifically on them, but... Um, I did forget about that. I have a little blind spot when it comes to silver border cards, I guess. I, I well, What's the opposite of a blind spot? I have that. Um... <laughs> Um, so the, uh, so anyway, I, I, by the way, I do like search. I think search should come back. I like search, but, um, okay. So there was, there was another mechanic that also implied teamwork. Um, the, right. co- the cohort mechanic. So cohort. instead of players teaming up with cohort, it right. was your creatures that were teaming up. So the way cohort works is it only went on allies and it said tap and tap an untapped ally. So you had to tap this creature and another ally, and then it uh, and discard an oh no, I'm sorry, and then you generate effect. You didn't always discard a card. That's just the one I was reading. Um, so you you would tap this and another creature to generate an effect. Right. Yeah, this one was not terribly popular. I think uh, it was. No. It was pretty <laughs> hard to get. It's pretty hard to get two creatures on the battlefield. 
um, two, two allies. Yeah, on two the allies on the battlefield, and get to your next uh, turn with uh, without one of them getting destroyed. So it's a it's an uphill battle for a mechanic like that to work and constructed. Uh, it was it was okay and limited, but I don't think it really uh, I don't think it really excited very many people. Yeah, I'm. I'm one of the things I always look at is I'll, I'll do reviews of stuff, uh, talk about how the mechanics did, and I always talk about whether they're which of the four quadrants they were in as far as you know were they in the top twenty five percent, the next twenty five, and I believe cohorts in the bottom twenty five. It's one of the mechanics that people are like ah you cannot do that again. That'd be okay with us. Yeah, yeah, it was a thing, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I not think, the yeah. greatest mechanic. Well, we try things. Um, it's true. It's true, and we okay. wanted. I wanted like the the goal there was just like what's something else we could do with our allies because we had had the rally mechanic in Battle for Zedekar, and I thought it might be fun to try something that encouraged a different style of gameplay with your allies. Yeah, I mean, by the way, I think it's important that we always try things. Like sometimes when things don't work out, like oh, you shouldn't have done that. I'm like, well, I think part of magic is exploring and trying things, and there are plenty of things that we thought maybe wouldn't work out that were huge successes. So. You, you never really know. You you do want to experiment and try things. And I, I never begrudge us trying things because a, a lot of cool things came about because, yeah, let's try this. And it ends up being popular. Yeah, and I, I certainly don't mind putting, you know, a mechanic in a set that's only particularly useful and limited. I think that's fine. So I think those are the three new mechanics. Um, both Devoid and Landfall, which were from Oath, uh, Battle for Zenicar, we're in Oath of the Gatewatch. Um, right. There were a lot of Devoid cards. There were only actually two Landfall cards, just sort of the the bare minimum to carry the the mechanic up forward. I just didn't find that there was a lot of design space left for Landfall cards uh, that hadn't already been used in Battle for Zedekar. So I just, uh, just made a couple of cards that did something different. Yeah, and Devoid, uh, for those who don't remember Devoid, Devoid is just... They're colorless cards with a colored mana cost. Um, we use them to represent the the Eldrazi because the Eldrazi have a very weird feel to them. So we represented the Eldrazi with either true colorless cards or devoid cards, which allowed us to then care about colorlessness. Um, De- devoid also... De- De- devoid was never really supposed to be a keyword... <laughs> Uh, it was just supposed to be a reminder that this, you know, this would tell you that, but we had a keyword for like rules reasons, and then the audience were like, "It doesn't do anything. Why is this a keyword?" So, yeah, I think it should have been a super right. type. I think, I think, <laughs> I think your original idea was like, "Oh, it'll have a little colored indicator blip, yeah, uh, on the type line." But then the graphic designers had to figure out what a colorless color indicator should look like, and I'm afraid <laughs> that's a hard uh, challenge. Yeah. In in retrospect, I wish we had made it a super type, um, because a super type would have done the work we needed. But people don't super types don't always have ba- rules baggage where mechanics traditionally always have rules baggage. So I, I think it would have accomplished our task in a way that wouldn't have sort of set people off like Devoid did. Is my my belief? Yeah, no, I I think that would have been a better solution there. I agree. Um. So okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about telling the story because. What had happened was magic kind of goes in and out of how much the story's in the cards. Um, right. You know, er, early magic, not much story was in the cards. And then uh, Michael and I pitched the Weatherlight Saga, and 
it was all over the cards. And then we, we, we pulled back. And like, we sort of go in and out of how much story is in the cards. And this was us sort of crush Like, it was crushing a little bit. Like, we were like, okay, we're starting a new story. Let, let's get it in the cards a little more. Um, so what, what was that like, trying to get sort of telling the story in the cards? Uh, it was a very satisfying exercise. And, like, this story continued all the way to War of the Spark, which was sort of the ultimate expression of that concept, where, like, yeah. <laughs> this this is a set that's all about a an important plot point and is almost nothing about a setting, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, so the Game Watch, you know, was kind of a compromise. It was like, here's this setting. It's it's uh, Zendikar. There's Eldrazi here. Uh, but also these, these story events are here, and we want to emphasize that with the mechanics. But no, I, I like um, I like taking different approaches to uh, to making different sets, and so you know, making a set that's very culturally inspired, like Kaldheim, is great for one reason. Making a set that is very mechanically inspired, like Tarkir, is another approach, and then uh, making a set that is. You know, inspired by by story genres like Innistrad is another satisfying approach. Uh, and so, to me, making a set that is very inspired by a story, our own magic story, is just a, a fourth equally valid approach. And taking different, you know, using different uh, sources of inspiration for design just ensures that our sets are are uh, fresh and different from each other. And so I really, I really enjoy being able to approach sets from different directions that way. Oh, I realized something we didn't talk about. I mean, we, we, we got near this, but we didn't talk specifically about it. Um, so Oath of the Gatewash, but, but, but beside introducing a new symbol, also introduced a new type of uh, basic land. Right. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about the making of waste? Right. Okay, so... Uh, wastes originally, for, from my my standpoint, um, wastes were related to uh, the set invasion. Actually, there was kind of there was this mechanic in invasion uh, that was called domain, domain. Yeah. and domain uh, went on cards that had scaling effects based on, on the number of basic land types among uh, lands you control. So that could go anywhere from zero to five normally. Uh, but the original designer for the sort of um, first draft version of Invasion, uh, named Barry Reich, I believe, yeah, designed was, it, a card called Barry's Land, which was a sixth basic land that tapped for colorless mana. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you're close to correct. Um, Barry made, uh, when Richard was first, like, thinking we need expansions he had his, all his the people he was working with make uh, an expansion so that, that there would be expansions later on and there were three different teams one team made ice age one team made mirage and, and barry as a team but barry was his own team made a, a thing called spectral chaos was the code name and then when we went to make invasion bill decided to look through spectral chaos because it had a multicolored theme to see if we could pull anything out of it to use in the set. So we there was stuff that, like, we were trying to see, like, Invasion was the set that said, is there anything good in here that we can use? And our favorite thing was Domain, which uh, we called Barry's Mechanic in design. And that one of the things was Barry's Land, right, which 
was a six basic land type. Uh, but interestingly, uh, Waste is not Barry's land. No, it is not. So the, the next part of the story is where I come in, which was when I was working on Commander 2014, before I decided to make five uh, monocolored decks there, I was exploring lots of different options. And one of the options that I uh, was considering was a colorless deck. The problem with making a colorless pre-constructed commander deck is that uh, because commander is a singleton format, you would have to have only one of each land. And you would start to get into some really weird lands that uh, had a lot of text that didn't really mean anything from a gameplay standpoint. Uh, so I asked the rules manager at the time, Matt Tayback, oh, what about Barry's Land? Can we make that? He said, it's it's hard to make Barry's Land uh, with, a, with a new basic land type because it causes a bunch of cards to behave in unexpected ways. Um, but it's very easy to make a basic land that taps for colorless mana and has no basic land type. So when I was uh, when I was working on Oath of the Gatewatch, I remember this. I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity to make this new basic land that taps for colorless mana and has no um, no basic land type. I think I even named it. I named it Wastes, uh, and we put it in the set. And then the last part of the saga is Jeremy Jarvis, who was the art director at the time, uh, really wanted the lands to look the same as the rest of the basic lands, where it didn't have any rules text, um, just had this the big symbol, the mana symbol of the color that it generates, or in this case, the colorless uh, mana that it generates. And I was like, oh, that won't work. The the whole way that... Uh, uh, that regular basic lands work is that the basic land type defines what kind of mana it produces. These ones have to have rules text. And uh, eventually, the editors decided that we could just print those those uh, wastes that looked the way Jeremy Jarvis wanted them to and basically uh, issued Day Zero Errata <laughs> that uh, put the, the rules text back in the Oracle text for the uh, cards. So officially they all have the rules text tap add C, but uh, as printed, they look the same as, uh, as normal basic lands do. That's pretty cool. Oh, so interesting little story here that uh, just to tell that since we're telling stories, people might not know um, when you guys made uh, the colors mana symbol, there was a big conversation about whether cards in um, Battle for Zendikar that had it should have the symbol. Right. Um, and I think it was Aaron. I was fighting very hard for that to be true. And I believe Aaron in the end said, we want it to be a cool new thing for the new set. So let's, we don't want to show it off till the new set. Um, and I remember arguing with him. I'm like, well, what if we just use it and like people go, oh, look at this. And then the next time we make use of it, wouldn't that be cool? But he said, no. So I lost that fight. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely can see arguments uh, both ways. Uh, certainly, it was very exciting when uh, people saw Kozilek for the first time. We're like, what the hell is this? Oh, my God, this is crazy. <laughs> so, uh, 
yeah, certainly the excitement was there. It, it did make playing with the two sets together and limited a little confusing. Though. Yeah, a little quirky. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I have to say that like of all the cards in Oath of the Gatewatch, Wastes is my favorite one. I'm just like, look what we did. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, a thing of simplicity when you look at the actual printed card. It's like, there's no words on it, but it does things. Yeah. So, so um, I, I can see my desk from here, so I, we, we don't have too much time left before I get to work. Um, any, <laughs> any, any last thoughts on, um, on Oath of the Gatewatch? Any final things you wanted to mention that you haven't had a chance to? I mean, it's definitely a crazy set, and... If I, I don't know if I would have done it the same way if I knew then what I know now, but uh, it was pretty exciting to work on. It certainly uh, made a lot of waves. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, it was a, it definitely got people's attention. Uh, and it's funny how, right, like, like just a new symbol makes people sit up and go, what? Yeah, I think in in retrospect, I wish I had fought a little harder to get those colorless mana symbols, um, that whole mechanic, into the whole block on Battle for Zedekar and Oath of the Gatewatch. Yeah. I think that that would have been... I think that's a cool enough mechanic to support a whole block, actually. Yeah, I, I agree, I agree. I, 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 we had talked about after the fact, like, if we had to do it all over again, that we would have introduced it, like, up front, but, like, as part of, part of everything. But yeah. it... The, the timing of the way things worked out, that oh, Battle for Zedekar was way, way, way too far along to be able to sort of put that in. It, it was, just wasn't possible. Yeah. Um, but I agree I agree with you. I, in retrospect, it would have been great if the whole block, you know, that was just the Eldrazi thing and the, the whole block had it. Yep. Um, and now, on my blog, I get people ask me all the time for... When are waste coming back? When can we see more waste? Can we get more waste, please? Where's well, snow we, waste? We Where? made this symbol kind of generic so that it's not it's not creatively tied to the Eldrazi. So we oh, can, yeah. we can we... bring it back whenever whenever we decide it's uh it's the right time. When we come up with a, a cool reason to do it, we will do it again. Yeah, I mean it's it's in our back pocket. The one thing I, I make sure the audience understands is there's a lot of infrastructure needed to make um colorless costs a thing that it, it, it's you can't just throw one in a set and have it work out that it really requires some dedication. Um, so it's not that we can't do it again. I'm, I'm sure we will do it again, but it, it is not something you can just throw in a set. It, the set really has to have certain qualities that allow it to happen. Right. It's a mechanic. I like to say a mechanic like that requires structural support. Yes. Uh, yes, it does. So anyway, Ethan, it was fun. It was fun talking with you about uh, Oath of the Gate Watch. Um, but I see my desk, so we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. Thanks for being with us, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Uh, and for all of you, I will see you all next time. Bye-bye.